Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Passing Dimes. Today's guest is a friend of the show, a friend of mine. He's played at Algonquin College. He coached at Glebe, where he won an offset championship. He's coached with the Team Ontario program at the Canada Games, National Team Challenge Cup, and U.S. High Performance Tournaments. He's been a member of Team Canada with our youth national team and was scheduled to be one of the coaches on our Senior B team before the uh, pause happened. But I'm sure we'll learn all about his national team, provincial team, club, high school experience, and so much more. So please welcome to the show, Matt Harris. Matt, thanks for doing this. Hey, Josh. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm going to try not to skip over anything because, like I said, you and I have known each other for a long time. But I want to make sure the listeners get like the, the true value of who Matt Harris is and all you've accomplished. So the, the first question I want to start with is how did you get into coaching? Because that Glebe high school team that you won OFSA, I think many would argue that's one of the best high school teams ever. And I was getting into the high school league here at UCC coaching with Derek Poon and Mike Murphy. And we saw you guys at the St. Mike's tournament. And man, a team with like... I'm thinking Phil James, Joy Mantha, Rex Fenton, Alex O'Neill. Like that squad was solid. So for you guys to take down Offsa, was that one of your your first high performance teams, or where did it really start for you? Yeah, that was definitely uh, uh, a really strong team, and we had a really great year that year. Um, you know, we were able to bring our first championship, Offsa championship, to our high school. So that was something really special. And uh, you named off the, a pretty good list of players that that played on that team. But that was actually my 12th year coaching at high school. I started coaching when I was in grade 11. My principal and uh, and the coach of the uh, junior girls team thought it'd be a good idea if I uh, if I hopped on board and, and helped her out a little bit. And that kind of led to me, uh, you know, assistant coaching for a couple of years while I was in high school. And then uh, there was a need for uh, someone to kind of take over the volleyball team on, on the boys' side um, when I started college. So I, I, I kind of loosely um, was the head coach of the team then. And then uh, once I finished college, I was able to, to really dive in deep and uh, and coach a lot of teams. I think there was about four years where I might have coached all four teams at the school. And then predominantly near the end, I just coached the senior boys team. So Awesome. See, I'm already learning so much. I, I thought you were still new to coaching when you took over, but it was a, a long process there. Yeah. So that's good to hear. Um, one thing, whenever we talk Ottawa volleyball, I think we have to give a shout out. Uh, can you just explain what the Glashen program is and how many players that's affected over the years? Because I think that that's pumping out players from a public school level that really go on to experience great things in our sport, right? Yeah, it's a special program, and uh, it's definitely something that's near and dear to my heart. You know, the, the, the ability for, you know, let me just say this, that everybody in that school is on the volleyball team. They have a team for everybody that's on that school, so everybody gets to play on the volleyball team, but there's only one kind of male spiker team and one female kind of spiker team. And, and that's been a, a great program since I would say the seventies. I'm not sure what their record is at, at elementary provincials, but I would say that they've probably won about 20 plus um, provincial championships on the boys side. So it's a great opportunity for, for, for young youth to play volleyball, to learn volleyball and, and most importantly to fall in love with volleyball. Nice. And with you being an Ottawa guy growing up and playing at Algonquin, can you just explain to me and the listeners the Ottawa volleyball community? Because I think it's so interesting that there, there's a few clubs there, but everybody seems to coexist and there doesn't seem to be battles. Like I'm thinking of that Glebe team you coached. I think you were at a different club. Like some of those guys were Mavericks guys, but you weren't affiliated with Mavericks. So there wasn't a lot of ego or there wasn't any backstabbing or politics saying, oh, don't go with that guy because he's either with Capitals or Ruse or Fusion or whatever it was at the time. Like it seems that everybody's in it for the sport and, and your club affiliation doesn't really mean you can't be friends with anybody else, right? Yeah, I, I definitely miss the Ottawa volleyball scene. But when I was there, you know, from, from beach volleyball to recreational senior volleyball, on Monday nights with the OCVL to high school volleyball to, to club volleyball. There was definitely a sense of camaraderie amongst the, the whole volleyball community. Um, you know, they put together some of the best beach tournaments um, in the facilities that we have. Some of the, some of the greatest high school tournaments have been held in Ottawa, the Colonel Bly tournaments, a well-known tournament. So yeah, everybody just gets along and uh, it's a great community and I definitely miss it. So what point along your journey did you decide that coaching was the career you wanted to pursue? Like, were you hooked from grade 11 that you really loved coaching and thought you could make a run at it? Or, or where did this click for you that this could be a living? Because you've invested so much time and passion and energy into it. But I'm just wondering, when did it become a reality that you could do this for your career? Yeah, I, I think that is something that I always wanted to do as a career. As soon as I started coaching volleyball, I just didn't know how, how that was going to unfold. So you know, obviously I had to have other jobs, you know, while I was coaching club, while I was coaching 
um, in the high school while I was coaching in the summertime as well. So um, that all of that kind of led to to me getting a, a full time position at Ryerson where I am right now. So one thing that's unique about your journey, it doesn't feel like you were always in a hurry to be a head coach. And I and I found myself in this when I first started coaching. And I'm sure young people go through this too that they always want to be in charge and they always want to have a shot. And and you mentioned you were a head coach at Glebe, and there was a year that you probably coached every team. But there's also times where you've been an assistant either at the university level or at the club level. So with you really dialing in that you were going to be a lifelong learner, like. What was it for you that stood out that, you know, you can win an offset championship at the high school level, but then be an assistant coach at club? Like, why were you either not in a hurry or why was learning so important to you that you could choose like different roles along your journey here? Yeah, I, I think that, you know, early on, because I didn't know exactly where I was going to fit in, in a volleyball career, but I knew that I wanted to be a coach. So I just wanted to be a part of other really good coaches programs to learn from then. I think in every situation that I've been in, um, I've always had really good mentors. You know, that's something that's important to me and something that uh, that was always provided to me by some outstanding uh, coaches and leaders in our in our volleyball community. So I think that just wanting to be a part of, of, of those programs and those those teams, um, I just learned a lot there. And, and, and I kind of just did that as many times as I could. So. And were you always just looking for opportunities? Because I think in the era that we grew up in, I think regional programs were weighed a little bit more heavy than they are right now because I think you can start Team O so young but for going to like the regional team and then provincial team and national team as a player seemed to be the pathway then and it seems to have followed what you did with your coaching career as well right so anytime an opportunity came up were you eager to apply or, or how are you picking and choosing what you were going to be a part of as a coach yeah definitely just just trying to do as much as I could you know in any situation whether it was uh, an OVA HPC uh, summer or, or which led to, to the youth program and, and some, some great opportunities there. I think that, that you know, just being a part of, of those programs with so many great coaches that were, were mentors in that program, um, that I was able to pick and, and choose and see so many people run a practice, so many other, other people run a session. And, you know, that was just a great opportunity. Now, do you remember the first time you were part of a Timo program or the first time you were at HBC? Like, can you take us through what that was like as uh, maybe somebody you had as a goal and when you finally reached that, what was the actual experience like? Yeah, my, my first HPC and my first um, was my first actual summer of being a, uh, an assistant coach on the provincial team. Um, Mark Ainsworth and Chris Lawson were the other coaches on the team. I believe it was the second summer of a, of a Canada game cycle, if I wasn't mistaken. But I had the opportunity to to learn from those two amazing coaches um, at an early age, and, and really that was my first kind of opportunity to to go to the tournament, you know, to travel to Winnipeg, to see all the awesome players in the other provinces at that time, and uh, and that was really my first opportunity. So I'll, I'll never forget that. Nice. And was that when you kind of set a, a mini goal for yourself that you were going to be the head coach of a Canada Games team? Like how how early in your process did you set apart that like special tournament that you wanted to be the leader of a team someday? Yeah, definitely at that tournament or that experience, there was a lot of talk about Canada Games. I think Chris, uh, Coach Lawson had been a part of, of, of a couple of Canada Games cycles before. And, and, and obviously I'd love, I love, uh, listening in to, to people's stories and, 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 and experiences and, you know, just hearing him describe, you know, kind of Ontario's legacy and the Canada games and some past teams and what that experience is like. I, I definitely knew I wanted to be a part of that experience at, at some, at some time. Now I don't, I don't want to list everybody because there's just too many names and I'm going to forget a few, but you mentioned Ian Lawson and Ainsworth and you getting to work with like great coaches like Ian Ebbett or, or Dustin Reed or everyone else you've been exposed to. What advice can you give to younger coaches? Because I, I, I'm the same as you. I'll go in the gym and I'll watch somebody run a drill and I'll just get fired up and say, that's really awesome. Like Jeff Chung just ran an awesome drill. But then how do you figure out ways that you can deliver it or you can kind of personalize it? Because there's things that Chung can do that I just can't do or he has a different delivery method where I, I still admire what he's doing, but I had to reach a certain point where I just couldn't steal his drill and get the same outcome. You know what I mean? Like the delivery, the way you communicate with the athletes, all that stuff matters. So with you being exposed to so many great coaches, was there ever a moment that you thought like, you know what, I really like how so-and-so does this, but that's just not going to work in my gym? Yeah, I think I think you you touched base on it there. Is just just watching people's deliveries, how they deliver the message, you know, and 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 different strategies to deliver the same message. I think you know those are the things that I, I definitely look for, and I, and I picked up at that at that early uh, kind of part of my of uh, my coaching development. So 
yeah, just looking at how people deliver the same message and and seeing how how athletes react respond to it. Nice. So you're going through this process of Team Ontario, and you get to work with the Canada Game Cycle, and then you get a chance to go to National Team Challenge Cups. So. How did you find ways to prepare your own teams? Like say when you're a head coach of Team Ontario and it's not a Canada game cycle, but just a National Team Challenge Cup year because th- those tournaments have a lot of weight. But I-, I found in the old system of the OVA, sometimes it was a little bit rushed. Like you'd go through HBC, you'd maybe get a week, a week and a half to train your team and then you'd be off to this tournament, right? So how would yeah. you find the, the the quick turnaround of evaluating 40 to 50 athletes in a gym, making the squad and then making a team out of that? Like how did you balance the quick turnaround of those those camps and clinics and making the squad yeah i think i think you're right it, it, it is a quick turnaround but i think one of the strategies that that, that we used um, predominantly was just figuring out what the athlete skill sets were early on what their strengths were you know the reasons why they had, had been chosen you know for the for the hpc and then, and then chosen for the team and just try and utilize their strengths you know within some some basic systems so um, yeah, quick turnaround teams are, are definitely fun to coach because because you can just kind of use their strengths and then and then get right at it. So nice and, and along the same lines, you've also taken some Team Ontario or Junior National teams to the U.S. High Performance Tournament. So what was your experience like there? Because I believe you're competing against other stack teams, but I think sometimes at U.S. HP there's also club teams, right? Like it's just a different makeup of of a high level competition. So you're walking into the gym, you're seeing your opponents for the first time. How are you navigating through those situations? Yeah, that's a great, that's a great tournament. I was fortunate enough to go four years in a row, two years with team Ontario and then two years with the U team. And I had a great experience every single time. My first experience with team Ontario, it was a, a younger team we brought down there. You know, everybody was new to the HP, new to the experience, new to the tournament, new to everything. And we definitely got an eye opener at that tournament, but it, it definitely gave us an opportunity to be more prepared for that tournament in, in our second year of that tournament. And uh, and we were a little bit more successful playing uh, a pretty cool style of volleyball and, and, and able to uh, to beat some really awesome teams down there. So yeah, it's just a great tournament. And it's fortunate enough to have that experience. So you mentioned when you're dealing with these these quick turnaround teams that you like to identify strengths and go with it, right? So. Do you have a, a frame system that you really value? Or are you honestly looking at a roster and saying, you know what, we got Brandon Coppers and Lucas Coleman and we're going to run the BIC because we have the left sides to do it and we're going to try to get them set even when they're in the back row and we're going to try to create opportunities for these guys. So like, do, do you come in with like, this is Team Ontario, we should be able to run a BIC or are you honestly looking at the personnel first and then saying, how do I maximize these guys? Like, What goes into your process of deciding what to do? I think a little bit of both. We definitely you know, have some, some, some base systems that, you know, we're, we're definitely kind of, you know, brought down from the team Ontario kind of pyramid. So, um, you know, I, I think that utilizing again, the athlete's strengths within those systems, you know, whether it's, it's, it's running the back row a little bit more or, or running the front row a little bit more, I think it, it, it definitely all depends on the athlete and the skill set, and, uh, yeah, definitely trying to utilize that. And then what advice would you give to some of our coaches listening about how do you manage it in a long season? So maybe you're coaching high school or club season and you've got more time. How do you find a way to, to measure if things are working and be patient versus, you know what, we got to throw this out because we've been trying to, you know, run this spread offense and it's just not clicking. Like, how do you, I, I know you watch a lot of volleyball. So how are you not being inspired and saying, you know, Arcus is doing this. I want to try with my club team versus saying, you know what, we just, we just don't have the horses. It's not going to work as cool as that is. Yeah, it's definitely a good, a good point. I think there's, there's definitely lots of things to take from, from any level of volleyball to apply to, to any team in any situation immediately. But there's definitely um, um, and a lot that, that, that can't be applied. So yeah, during the longer club season, I always enjoyed kind of, taking things a little bit slower in the first half of the year, you know, you know, training some, some skill acquisition um, aspects and then, and then carrying on into the competition year. So yeah, just, just being patient. I think there's lots of opportunities in the club season, lots of tournaments to, to, to switch things around and, 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 and that. So. So again, looking at your resume, a guy who's been on both sides of this, like you've been the Canada games coach and you've also been a club coach. Do you think it's fair if Ontario developed a system and said like top down, like this is what we want 
club players entering HBC being able to do. And then from HBC, we'll learn this and we'll cover this. Like if it could give Team Ontario a head start, like is there anything that's maybe a volleyball truth in your mind that you would encourage any club coach of any age to be working on, you know, ABC just because it's going to help them? I, I guess not only at Team Ontario, but at post-secondary as well. I think there's some aspects of, you know, some, some general aspects like serving tough and, and obviously servicing well. And, and there's some different, you know, technical things there and there's some tactical things there. And, you know, if an athlete is, 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 has the ability to maybe operate in, in one, one kind of system or, or one tactical aspect and, and then they're, they're, they're learned to another one or taught another one, I think there's only an advantage to that. So I think that, you know, if, if a program or, or, or an association has kind of a top-down general kind of guidelines, I think that helps. And then I think that there's always some room for some individualism in there as well. And again, trying to keep the timeline somewhat consistent. So you're going through your process and you're being a club coach and all you accomplished at high school. When you get to Ryerson and you're an assistant coach again, what are some things you can do as an assistant coach just to be supportive? Because I think, like I said, some people try to fast track and they want to be a head coach where you get there and you're working with Dustin, even though with your your resume and everything you've already done, what were some things you could do to be just a really good assistant coach that you would pass on and really recommend other coaches try to instill in their own coaching if they're not in the head seat? Yeah, I think just, just trying to, to repeat the message, you know, trying to enforce the principles and standards that the head coach wants um you know trying to understand what those are and then you know trying to deliver the same message so i think that that's an important part of being an assistant coach and and obviously there's some some areas where you can do that within your own personal kind of coaching style whether whether the the message and delivery is the same you know everybody's kind of an individual deliverer everybody's an individual coach so i think that that was probably you know one of the things that i tried to do the most was Know, understand what the coach's visions are understand you know the message that they're trying to deliver and and trying to deliver that message in, in my own kind of individual aspect now you don't have to name names on this one but was there ever an assist uh, a situation as an assistant coach where you just weren't drinking the kool-aid and you didn't necessarily agree like is there a way to walk the line without maybe selling out your beliefs or what obviously maybe not beliefs because if you really dug in on something you wouldn't you wouldn't do that but was there anything that you weren't just 100 percent bought in that you still found a way to contribute to the team yeah absolutely you know lots i've coached many in many different situations so you know i haven't always gotten along with 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 either assistant coaches or head coaches but in terms of of maybe not agreeing on on a substitution or a tactical aspect i think if you have a healthy situation with with your coaching staff and you and you're able to you know have great conversations that that lead to you know productive things within your team i, I think there's a great opportunity there so um you know whether i agreed or not with with someone's you know, substitutions or lineups or or or, or tactical decisions you know i think there, there's only room for for growth there so um, yeah, just being able to have a healthy relationship and being able to communicate, you know, what your understanding of the situation is. Now, on the the flip side of that, how do you kind of lead your assistant coaches to know that they have the green light to speak their mind? But th- there's definitely going to be a time and place, right? Like, is this a conversation you might have early on in the season with your with your coaching staff saying, you know, this is the direction I want to take. This is what I see for us. This is how everybody can contribute. And and this is your time to to speak up if you're not all in, like. How, how have you navigated those situations? Because they're going to happen, and I don't, I don't think coaches should ignore them, but I think you should have a plan or an action in place that when they do come up, there, there is a healthy understanding, right? Yeah, it's one of the great things that I, that I definitely learned from, from being involved in the HPC and being involved in Team Ontario. You know, you're, you're, you, you pick the coaches throughout the year. You know, maybe the coaches and you don't work with each other, you know, throughout the year. You might see each other at, at the weekend tournaments here and there. But then you only have you know three three weeks together before before the tournament. So, like you said, I think it's important you know having meetings early on, getting to know each other, laying down some framework, getting to know others' point of views on on different things, and then you know just just making sure everything's clear on who's going to deliver the message when, you know. And I always you know I'm a big believer of, of empowering. I'm a big believer of mentoring. So um, that was something that was important in my development. So that's kind of how I. I, I kind of run or, or kind of, you know, treated my program. So, yeah, it was very important to communicate in that situation. Yeah, I'm glad you keep bringing up the the message and how consistent that needs to be for a team to function because it reminds me of a, of a time at HBC and 
just for any athletes or parents listening that after we're done training, after we're done meetings, that what coaches basically do is we sit around and talk more volleyball again, right? So uh, I I was in a room with, I think it was Shane White, yourself, and maybe a few other coaches that I'm forgetting, but we talked about building culture through drills. And I thought that was always a strength of yours where we're just not going to make this mission statement or we're not going to make this little, I don't know, key tag that goes on the backpack. that's kind of like trendy right now for a lot of teams that if we write down a mission statement, we have a goal, we're going to be clear to it. So how have you built that level of prep into your training where it's not enough to say that we're going to be hardworking, that now hardworking is getting talked about at practice. It's getting built into drills. It's, it's part of the feedback. It's part of everything we talk about. So how have you found in your own coaching that you're you're at that level of preparedness that it's again like I said it's not just something we write on the wa- the whiteboard of practice that it's something we we do and we apply action to. Yeah, I think that's the key part is is apply action to and and how how repeatable can you deliver the same message and associate it with an action. Um, you know, you're right. I, I, I like all of those culture things, all of the team the team messages, all of that. But I think the important part is 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 putting that into actions and then defining those actions within the kind of system or structure and then catch them doing it. You know, when, when athletes are doing it, catch them doing it. And, and, and just the more times that you can catch them doing it, the more times that you can be repeatable in that message, the more times that you, you associate actions with, you know, skills and, and actions with, with, you know, technical systems. I think, you know, those are definitely ways that we brought about that in the situations that I was in. And hopefully you don't mind me me sharing this for the listeners. Hopefully it's not top secret. But one thing I thought was cool with one of your Team Ontario teams, I believe you had like a hard hat or some sort of award that was peer given at the end of practice. Can you just go into, again, connecting the values in your mission statement and everything, but making it kind of like a, a part of the team and part of your daily practice, like it was an award at the end, right? Yeah, it's definitely something that that was brought into Team Ontario by – Coach Peter Millsap, he had a great idea, you know, to to highlight again to kind of highlight the actions of, of what we wanted to be, and it, it started with uh, with a ball, and I think we did the ball where we, we we kind of nominated somebody at the end of every practice um, that highlighted the behavior that we were kind of aiming at or, or or a goal or something, and they got to sign the ball and they got to kind of keep it and carry it around, and then you know fast forward kind of you know five or six summers to our, our Canada game summer. And, uh, one of our assistant coach, uh, Ian Ebbett is a, is a fireman. And, you know, we, we wanted to do something special that year, you know, for the guys, you know, with regards to, to keeping some, some traditions that were established early on, um, in our, in our team Ontario experiences. So he suggested, uh, uh one of his, um, one of his fire helmets, he, he's a fire chief and he, he has a helmet that, that he would donate. And that was really special because it was an official fire helmet. And when we presented it at the end of each practice, you know, the guys just loved wearing it and uh, it was something important. And by the end of our experience, everybody, coaching staff included, had a had a day or had a couple of days with the helmet. And uh, it was just a great, a great activity to go through. And how are you making sure that the buy-in is there? Like, I think these are some cool projects, but if the guys aren't believing in it, if it doesn't become a part of the culture, then it kind of loses its its value, right? So have you found that if just the coaches are bought in and they're all in and they're excited that the, the players will follow, or does it take some peer leadership from the guys to really make that something important to everybody? 100%. I think the peer leadership, I think obviously it's important that the coaches buy into it. And like I said, the, the more times that the coaching staffs are unified in the message, the more times that the coach and staff can, can catch the athletes doing doing the, the behavior or the action that, that is desired is, is something that's important. But I think that having a, a leadership group, having a, a group of athletes that also buy into it, that, that are, you know, taking care of the message, you know, when the coaches aren't around, I think that's probably one of the most important aspects of it. And, and so having a strong leadership group, making sure the coaching staff is communicating with that leadership group um, and, and, and making sure that the message is being delivered. Um, you know, in those opportune times. So we've already covered one of your strengths, which I think is building like the, the culture and the identity of the team. I'm wondering if you could share some secrets with planning. And the reason I bring this up, because again, you've been a club coach and you've had to work other jobs to coach volleyball. So 
it becomes a little bit more challenging, right? Like if you're working a career and you're, and you're coaching maybe your kid's team or you just want to stay involved and you're coaching the team on the side, like obviously as a university coach, you have all the time in the world and, and it should be expected to have a proper yearly training plan. But if you're a parent who's coaching, you might not have the time to dive into the, the layers that you do in your seasonal plan. What are some pillars that they should build out and just make time for that are going to like really help them get the most out of their season, if you know what I mean? Yeah, I think maybe just having a, an overall kind of idea of what kind of phase you want to be in throughout the year. You know, what what do you want to, what message do you want to deliver? What aspect do you want to work on? Um, how proficient do you want your team to be in that aspect uh, in training and then in competition and then kind of moving forward from there? So, um, you know, that's, that's definitely something, you know, general, something that any coach at any level can kind of do. You know, for myself personally, you know, my first coaching experience was with a gym teacher. So, you know, I, I learned at an early age, you know, how to organize a practice, you know, very, very early on. I remember seeing a full lesson plan of volleyball stuff, not just, you know, books and, and academics, um, you know, like a regular teacher would be. So I, I, I always learned from an early age, you know, what that could be. And, and you mentioned working odd jobs, you know. When I was in college, uh, I had a, a great coach by the name of Brian Rourke, and he was a construction worker during the day. And I remember him coming to practice, you know, with a full lesson plan, you know, ready to go and delivering a great, a great kind of practice session. And then fast forward to, you know, that that kind of high school team that you were talking about. I believe it's, I was doing the same thing. I was I was working construction, and I was I was running in the practice, you know, with my boots on, you know, with the full lesson plan. So, um, you know, I think again, just having great mentors allowed me to to do all that. Nice, nice. And how do you value competition? Because obviously those are staples and those are things you're going to prepare for in your plan. But are you circling something that says like, we need to, I don't know, win the St. Mike's tournament in order for us to do well at OFSA? Are you looking at, you know, you want to be in premier as a club team, so you got to do well in the first couple tournaments to get up to that level? Like, are you a big expectations and results guy? Or how do you like to approach the the competition pillars that have to go into planning? Yeah, I think, I think that you know, in the club season, at least in Ontario, we're fortunate enough to have such a long club season with so many different tournaments, um, not only in Ontario, but, but you know, in other provinces and, and down south in the United States. So um, I think in the club season, there's so much opportunity to, to really differentiate what kind of tournaments importance you want to have. In high school, it's a little bit, it's a little bit quicker. You're it's a quick turnaround in Ottawa from tryouts to the first week of, of training to the first week of, of obviously competition to to the tournament. So I think that yeah, there's there's some some qualifications for offsa and points and stuff, but you know we were never really too concerned about that. But um, yeah. Nice, nice, and obviously you're a lifelong learner when it comes to coaching and the way you want to you know pursue your career and do all the little things there. I was wondering, how are you treating that like a skill for the athletes you get to work with? Like it it might seem like an obvious thing, but when we had John Mayer on the show, he talked about, you know, he can't be preaching this growth mindset thing and then yell at athletes when they make a mistake, right? Like that's just an obvious example of you you need to kind of live the world you're trying to preach to these athletes and you can't be excluding yourself from the rules or the culture you want to build, right? So how are you instilling that to your athletes that it's really important to learn and then again how are you wrapping that up in your planning and, and your culture through the drills and everything you're doing in practice yeah, i think just having an open dialogue learning trying to learn different different ways of doing things understanding that everybody uh everybody needs improvement in, in different areas you know overall and that you know coaches are willing to learn coaches are willing to you know see something you know on the video that that maybe Maybe they shouldn't have done, or maybe they, should, you know, we, we should have made a different call at that moment, and then allowing the athletes to understand that it's okay to make mistakes, and you know, but at the same time, you wouldn't make that mistake if you didn't make a decision. So I think that it comes twofold there. And how formal are these conversations? Like, are you sitting down and actually having meetings with the athletes? Are these conversations that are happening during pauses in practice? Like, how often are you connecting with athletes in just a, a few different ways? And I think in the university setting, we're so fortunate that, you know, you know, we, we, we have, we're with the athletes all the time. So you establish relationships, you get into routines of people's schedules, you know, when people can pop into your office, you know, when people are, are free before practice, um, when people have, have an off day, um, you know, whether they live close to campus or away from campus. So 
I think that in university, we have such a great opportunity to, to establish relationships um, with the coaching staff and with the athletes. Uh, but, but like you said, in training, um, looking for moments off the court, looking for moments, you know, in timeouts, looking for moments, you know, when, when, when the rallies stopped in training. So, and I'm just curious, have you, you know, again, you don't have to name names. I'll, I'll name names in my example, though. How do you deal with athletes who are maybe a little tough to coach with or maybe they're not buying in completely? Like, I remember when Rex Fenton was in club, it's not that he, you know, you shouldn't bump set a, a three to a middle or anything like that. But uh, he, he would be the type of player who would find ways to be creative and do all this wild stuff. And, and I'm sure you allowed it because you maybe had a closer relationship. But I remember some provincial team coaches just this kid was driving people nuts with how creative and how free he wanted to play. Right. So have you ever run into a situation with a player who's just not buying into the system or thinks they have a better way or just a different way of doing things? And how do you approach those situations? I think. I'm a big fan of creativity, but I'm also a big fan of, of obviously, you know, displaying, you know, proper action. So I think that, that finding, finding the difference, you know, between those two aspects is important. Yeah. I think, you know, Rex was such a creative player. Now, now that you, you, I'm thinking about the way that he played in those years. Um, but uh, yeah, I think that, that just, just finding that balance uh, between, you know, holding athletes accountable to behaviors and actions, but allowing them to be to be their own player. So I think a, a mixture of collectivism and a mixture of individualism is important um, when you're when you're kind of dealing with any type of athlete. Yeah, like what would be your approach with that style? Like I, I think on the beach, obviously we're a little bit more hands off because we just can't interact with the athletes in a game. But for you to to say like creativity and freedom, like are you? Would you approach that in a game? Would you let him do what he was doing? Like, where is the line? I guess, like you said, like the, the outcome and the performance matters, obviously. But where where do you have those longer conversations? Because I'm not sure you can address all the behavioral stuff that comes up in volleyball in a 60-second timeout, right? No, not at all. Not at all. I, I think that, again, just, just allowing the athletes to, to be who they are, you know, when, when they're on the court is important. And then, you know, maybe, you know, through relationship building, through conversations, you know, guiding them, um, letting them make their own decisions and, and, and learning from that, you know, the athletes will definitely be able to, to, to grow into, you know, the player that they want to be. And how have you found a way to kind of coach attitudes? And, and the, the reason I bring this up is the AVP did a great broadcast this weekend. And obviously, Phil Dalhouse, who's a top player, and they're showing him, and they had Jake Gibb talking about Phil and talking about, you know, he might come off as this quiet and patient guy, but but he's a killer. Like, you don't know what's going on inside of his head. He's an absolute killer. He's a competitor just because he's not screaming and yelling and all that stuff. And I'm thinking the way you like to carry yourself, obviously, people who know you, you're a competitor and you're there to win, but you're not going to throw clipboards, shout, embarrass people, yell at refs and stuff like that, right? So... How have you found your own way to deliver like an attitude or a level of compete, even though you're not, I don't know, maybe the, the, the John Tortorella coaching style or maybe like the, I don't know, Coach Carter coaching style that we see in movies. Like, how have you found a way to deliver that you're all in, even though you're not going to throw a fit whenever the opportunity comes up? Yeah, I think just by, by being consistent again and, and, and delivering the same message, being consistent, you know, kind of day in and day out with, with how we interact with the athletes. Um, is important and I think that that you know again through the, the the time that you're with the athletes the time that you're you're building a team you know they kind of see that that you're you're all in so you know whether whether you're running up and down the sidelines or, or whether you're standing still in the same position you know your athlete you know they're going to know who you are and they're, they're going to want to compete for that so and have you ever had to reel an athlete in who's maybe I don't know. Again, I'm trying to use real examples just to spark what the so the listeners know we're talking about. Like an Alex O'Need, like that guy is a very emotional player. He's going to be the hardest working guy. He might even talk through the net or aggravate some people. So when you're working with an athlete of that skill set, have you ever had to reel them in, or are you again just letting them be creative and letting them be the the person they want to be? Well, I, I think that there's again there's there's a there's a differentiate a difference to make. You know, uh, if, if an athlete's crossing the line, you as a coach have to you know step in you know and and, and address something but uh, again you know you know letting athletes be who they are um if they're not caught to new points if they're not you know being disrespectful to opponents being disrespectful to to, to fans and referees um and, and they're being competitive i think you just gotta let them go nice and and speaking to friend of the show joel Han, and i reached out for a few tips and he mentioned one of your strengths was just 
maximizing guys' skill set and trying to put them in a, in a position to do well. So you've already touched on that a couple times. I'm wondering if you could just, again, give some coaches listening some tips about how are you pursuing learning and you want them to have like this growth mindset and it's okay to make mistakes versus like maximizing because I think some younger athletes can maybe get into a trap where you could say, Hey, Hey Joey, like you're really good at this. And then in their mind, they think like, Oh, I'm supposed to be good at this. Like I don't need to learn more or I don't want to show that I'm going to be bad in front of coach because they want to keep impressing you. Right. So how do you maximize your strengths and say, this is what you're good at, but we still have work to do and you can still improve. Right. Yeah. I think that, that, you know, at different levels and different situations, you can you can highlight that or place a little bit more importance on that. Um, you know, definitely in in the last summer of that Canada game cycle, we were all in. So we were selecting a, a team to win the tournament. You know, four years before that or three summers before that, you know, we were we were definitely you know looking for a bigger group. So um, I think just depends on what situation you're in. You know, coaching club, you're you're developing athletes. Um, you know, coaching university, you're, you're developing athletes, but there's, there's a lot of the competition phase to that aspect as well. So I think there's a time and a place, you know, for, for the importance of, you know, maximizing skill sets to developing skills. And then uh, along the same lines as, as maximizing skills, you and I have talked about this off air a couple of times where you've gotten really good at your video delivery, where instead of showing your own athletes making a mistake and saying, this is why we're going to change this style of defense or our base defense, you'll actually pull up a video and you'll show either a national team or a professional club team. And you'll say, you see how that six pack guy, he's going to take two steps to the left. That's our new base defense. So Greg, when you're in the back row and you identify a seam, I want you to take two steps to the left, right? So how have you, first of all, how did you come across that? And two, what have you found is the value or the turnaround of the athlete that they're not, they're not getting trashed in the video session saying that's a mistake. You shouldn't have done that. And instead you're showing them models of behavior that they want to see and guys that they can look up to. Right. It's definitely a lot easier nowadays with, with volley metrics and, and um, you know, the other kind of platforms out there. Um, when we started doing that in the summers with Team Ontario, you know, Coach Millsap was, was taking some YouTube videos and, and spending a lot of time off the court. But, um, yeah, I thought that was a brilliant thing in the first couple of summers that, that the coaching staff implemented. And I've definitely taken that aspect to, to the other teams that I've, I've been a part of. And, uh yeah, I think it's just it's just part of, of learning. It's it's part of you know kind of learning and motivating. You know, athletes see somebody in the professional world, you know, do something, and and they know that they could do the same thing. I, I think it speaks volumes, um, and and there's a great importance. But you know, I, I also think that there's an importance to see and seeing you perform something and, and stuff like that. So I think that there's a time and a place to deliver all of those messages. But in a in a bigger group setting, I've definitely enjoyed you know showing you know, kind of Team Canada stuff, um, professional stuff. So it's been great. Is there any player that you just enjoy that you just get into like a volumetrics or a YouTube wormhole where you're just like, man, I could watch Agapeth hit out a system all day. I could watch Taylor Sander hit the Bic. I could watch TJ Sanders or Brett Wallace dish with Team Canada. Like, is there any player that you're kind of like, you know what? There's nothing on TV. Uh, my wife's at work. I'm, I'm just going to watch volleyball and this is my guy right now. Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, right now, I don't know if there's one player, but I think that you, you nailed it. You know, just having the, the availability to to watch so many different players. I've actually been watching a little bit of the NCAA volleyball and, and watching those guys spike serve has been awesome. So I've um, been thinking about that a lot recently. So maybe we'll see some more spike serves going on in the future. Nice. And again, just to build on your earlier point that like uh, Peter Millsap was really leading the charge and cutting that YouTube video stuff. Uh, for any younger athletes who are listening, is that maybe the best way to get role models? Because we always, you know, I, I find myself complaining sometimes that volleyball doesn't get the coverage it deserves. But like you said, we're, we're way further ahead than where we were even like 10 years ago as far as watching video. So is that the best way to do it is just finding some cool volleyball highlights on, on online and just picking their favorite players to maybe model after? Because I, I can remember being little and if Pavel Burry did something in a game, I was trying that in road hockey the next day, right? So is that maybe the best evolution for a young volleyball player is just to get on YouTube and find a favorite player? Oh, absolutely. There's so much out there. Uh, I, I highly encourage it to to watch as much as possible and, and different platforms, but definitely YouTube has is, is got the, the free stuff out there and it's got the most stuff out there. So I would highly encourage it to any athlete, any coach. Now, one cool event that you got to be a part of that got a lot of attention was the Can-Am. So how did you feel going into that event? Because obviously, 
the volleyball community really supported that. It was exciting to see some NCAA teams compete against some top teams in Canada. So for you being on the inside of that preparing, how did you guys kind of circle that one on your calendars? Was that going to be like a big deal in your seasonal prep? Or were you just kind of like us on the outside being super excited and just going to take whatever the event gives you? You know, the, the timing of it, you know, was great in the sense of, you know, everybody being available, um, you know, the, the volleyball community being able to come out from a pure coaching standpoint. You know, we didn't we didn't have a lot of time to prepare, but not a lot of other teams did. So we just wanted to make sure our athletes got their their legs underneath them before we we, we kind of went at it. But the tournament was fabulous. You know, having those teams come, you know, not only from the west coast of Canada, um, you know, Trinity and Alberta are strong programs, great teams to have um, for our volleyball community to come watch, and then the teams from from the NCAA. Um, just watching those teams was was phenomenal being able to interact with those coaches off the court. Um, it was a great event. Um, the coaching symposium was great. The experience for the fans was great. The experience for the teams were great. So um, look forward for that event in the future. Yeah, you, you keep finding situations where you're involved and you find ways to speak to different coaches. Like even when you go to a National Team Challenge Cup, I feel like coaches are having conversations there. I'm wondering with this long style of learning you've had and this patience you've had in your coaching process, have there been opportunities come up where you're, you just, it confirms that you know more than maybe you thought you did? Like, are you learning every time you go? Or are there certain situations where somebody says something and you're kind of like, oh yeah, like I've already thought about that and I've done this. Like, is it always new to you? Or are there certain pillars that you've grasped that you can say like, no, I've confirmed, I've tried that, I know this. Like, maybe maybe not everything's new and exciting anymore for what you've put into our sport. No, I, it's always exciting for me to be a part of anybody's conversation or to be able to to share knowledge with with any other you know kind of member of the volleyball community so um i think i'm always learning i'm always taking things you know taking little things um if there's something that i already know it's almost better because then i can just filter that out and 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 learn something new um you know and that kind of catches my eye so um no i enjoy talking to lots of uh members of the volleyball community and uh yeah Nice, nice. So I'm just looking at my list here. We've covered, you know, the way you like to plan, some culture stuff. I, I think the the more and more the sport reaches a higher level and you start to climb the ladder, I think more emphasis gets start putting on, on the mental side of the game. So I'm wondering, what have you done with the teams you've coached or what are you currently doing at Ryerson to kind of build that pillar that is, is so important in our sport? Yeah, it's definitely a huge aspect and it's definitely something that I think is very important. Um, it's something that I'm constantly trying to educate myself on, constantly trying to bring people into the program that where, where their strength is that. With the situation that I'm currently in, um, building kind of a young team, a young program, you know, it's definitely something that we're putting, you know, kind of towards our, our volleyball curriculum, our off-court curriculum, you know, educate and then, you know, see how we can, you know, use it as a, as a part of our, our, our kind of aspect of playing the game and, and dealing with some situations. So um, I think that just trying to surround myself, trying to learn um, different aspects of, of mental resiliency and mental training, and then, you know, trying to find people where, where that's their strength to be a part of the program. Yeah. Without giving away too many secrets, how are you interacting with your athletes right now? Cause obviously the, the pause happened, I'd say in mid March, right? So what are you doing to keep everybody engaged? Like what are you putting into your curriculum to make sure that they still feel like they're valued and they're a part of something and maybe they're, they're improving some off court skills, like you said. Yeah, obviously with the time it's been, it's been, you know, very tough to, to actually get on court and, and actually work on skills, but you know, like other programs and, and other situations, you know, we're communicating over the, the video calls, having, you know, team meetings, having player meetings, um, you know, talking to, to different groups of players, small groups, large groups, um, trying to keep the athletes engaged. You know, they kind of like this platform. So I'm really curious to see how, how this is going to develop into the future of, uh, of, of delivering, you know, kind of coaching and, and, and programs. So, um, yeah, just trying to stay engaged in that aspect, um, trying to do some, some different challenges um, and stuff like that. So, you know, hopefully all the athletes are staying active and, 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 and are well and, and are ready to get back on the court whenever we can. Now, obviously, not only your squad was affected by our pause right now, but uh, you personally, like you were scheduled to be a part of the, the senior B team coaching staff. So obviously, before the, the, the stoppage happened, what were you looking forward to the most about being a part of that squad? I think just, just being in the gym with, with so many great athletes, 
being in the gym, obviously with, with so many great coaches. I think that was the, the, the really big aspect that I was really looking forward to. I still look forward to, to, to having that opportunity, but uh, it just won't happen this summer. And uh, I look forward to uh, having that opportunity in the future. Now, as you've climbed the ladder, like obviously National Team Challenge Cup was in Gatineau, so you're around that environment and you've obviously accomplished a lot as a coach, but do you ever reach that moment where you're around a certain level of athlete and, and maybe you get just a little bit more aware of the environment? Like you don't have to admit it. I'll, I'll admit it. Like when I was coaching provincial team and club, I, I was totally fine. The first time I'm working with like Sam Pedlow and Sam Schachter, I, I was nervous and I didn't want to overspeak or I didn't want to get too involved. Right. So in, in your own coaching career, as you continue to climb the ladder and work with different athletes, like how have you found a way to be comfortable to, to interact with those level of athletes, like going from a, a university coach to then coaching guys who, who play our sport for a living, right. And have been on the national team for a lot of years. Like how would you approach those situations? Yeah, I think just, just trying to figure out what the athletes need. Um, to prepare, you know, for the tournament or to prepare for for that week of training, and, and and try and do your best to, you know, provide and facilitate, you know, whatever the athletes' needs are. So I, I don't think that that is any anything different than anything in in, in any other situation. So um, it, it's awesome to work with different levels of athletes, but it's great to be a part of uh, of those programs and to see those athletes up close. Now I mentioned National Team Challenge Cup was in Gatineau, and I think. Anyone who's worked with Glenn knows he's pretty accessible. Does anything come to mind about what he's been able to influence you in your coaching? Because I feel like that guy, there was a time he was one email away. And if you wanted a seasonal plan template, he was there. He was going to share whatever information you wanted. He was doing coaching symposiums. So for you, what have your interactions been with Coach Hogue? And what have you learned from him? Yeah, I think that, you know, obviously you nailed it right there. You know, he's he's a, co- a pro's coach and, and you know, he likes to plan a lot. And that's definitely something that, that I've taken that message has been, you know, delivered, you know, not only by him, but, but his former players and, 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 you know, his former kind of coaching staff. So, um, definitely that aspect and, and, and any other kind of aspect that they use up there, you know, we always try and kind of filter that down, you know, to, to the teams that we train. So. Now I'm wondering if you could give us just a few examples. Cause again, I, I want to take advantage while we have you to, to really, showcase your experience and hopefully our listeners can learn a lot so let's just pull a couple examples you're coaching like lucas coleman or xander uh kacharski excuse me not ketrasinski cole told me i was pronouncing that wrong my whole life so far so i had to correct that um but when you're coaching a level an athlete at that level are you seriously thinking long term and you know that maybe they need more than maybe an athlete who's 11th, 12th, 13th on your roster and isn't going to represent canada someday like how are you finding a way to treat everybody fair but fair doesn't necessarily mean equal when it comes to reps and drills and stuff like that right i think that you know i think that in training to have equal reps amongst all your players is definitely something that's important i think that you know depending on a player's skill skill level depending on 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 you know who they are as a volleyball player where they're at in their development there's definitely some aspects that could be you know differentiated when you're delivering a message but I think that, you know, just always having the athletes have a goal in mind and, and understanding that goal and, and trying to trying to like facilitate, you know, their ability to attain that goal. So I don't think it differentiates between any players, but I just think that different players have different goals and you as a coach have to be able to adapt to that. And, I, and I'm thinking in, in university sense, how are you keeping athletes ready, even though their number might not be called? Like I'm thinking if you're a first year entering Ryerson and maybe you're not a starter, how are you keeping them sharp and ready to go without like burying your starters? Like, I, I don't think you want to lie to them and say, oh, your time will come. Like, well, we're going to need you. We're going to need you. And then all of a sudden they don't get to play all year. Right. So how are you keeping the message consistent and clear to them without like giving them fluff or trying to make them feel better? Right. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great question. It's definitely something that's, that's kind of always evolving in the way that, that, that I coach and it's definitely something that, that I'm always trying to constantly get better at and delivering that message and having, you know, kind of opportunities and training for everybody to, to shine and, and for everybody to, to kind of play as hard as they can and, and get every opportunity to, but, you know, we're always in a situation where we're competing. Um, you know, we're, we're in a sport, you know, that only has a, a minimal amount of substitutions and, and, you know, we, we like to, we like to win. Everybody wants to win when they get on the court. So, um, but I think it's important to keep everybody engaged in, in training, keep everybody engaged in competition. 
Now, obviously, people who have met you before listening to this know that you're involved in a lot of different levels. Like you've been a part of Madawaska for a long time. You've done different camps and clinics and things like that. Do you ever feel that because you're Matt Harris and you've won Canada Games and you coach university that when you show up and work at kids clinic that you have to be you have to be on in a certain way and you have to deliver stuff? Or are you always able to kind of take yourself out of it and just kind of deliver what the athlete needs at that time? Because I'm thinking there's athletes you've worked at at Madawaska that aren't aren't on the national team pathway like a Xander is, right? So you might need to change the drill or the delivery, but you don't want to take away the the prestige that being coached by Matt Harris is, right? So how do you approach those different situations to make sure that the athlete's getting what they need without you either overselling or underselling what you can bring to the table? I think just, just being consistent in, in, in those aspects, like you said, you know, delivering the message. Um, you know, I love coaching the athletes at Mattawaska Volleyball Camp. Um, it's a great opportunity. Um, just to work with with athletes who, who who love the game, and I think that that's the most kind of appealing thing for myself when when I'm working with those athletes. Um, so you know, just instilling the love for the game to to all those athletes is important, and it's definitely something that I enjoy doing in any aspect. Awesome, awesome. Well, I'm just looking at the clock. I've I've taken a lot of your time, and I'm sure you're you're busy after you've explained how much goes into your planning. I'm sure you've got lots to do. But uh, one thing we've made a tradition on the show is just to end with a funny story. So somebody who's been involved in volleyball for a lot of years, uh, you're you're no exception to I'm sure something funny or or just outrageous has happened along the way. So I was hoping you could tell us the story before we let you go. Yeah, I think you know one thing since we're on the topic of Team Ontario. Um, you know, and early on when we had, you know, a bigger group, um, we had a lot of teams training at like one facility, one campus. Um, we had our 60 new team there. We were, we were training hard. It was the end of a week. Um, the guys were enjoying a little bit of social time at night. You know, I wanted to take them to ice cream, but I also wanted to, you know, provide a little bit of humor for the evening. So I came out with my clipboard, with my whistle. I kind of broke down the whistle that meant that, you know, they were going to, they were going to have to do something. And, uh, and, and at the moment that they thought they were going to, you know, whatever it is that they were going to have to do, I kind of walked by them and said, you know, ice cream's on the coaching staff. And, uh, and it was a good laugh and we all walked and got ice cream. So <laughs> I remember that because at Brock, everybody would socialize. The men's team was there. The women's team was there. Yeah, so they, they were probably being big shooters and then thought they were going to be in trouble or even <laughs> a little bit embarrassed. And then they get the ice cream call. That was awesome. That was really fun. Awesome. Well, thanks for for taking the time and sharing your journey. Obviously, you've been you've been patient, but you've obviously been focused and, and really really dialed in on learning and who you wanted to be around and all the stuff you've accomplished. So it was great to to let our listeners know everything you've accomplished and, and best of luck with everything else you got moving forward. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me. I enjoyed talking to you and enjoy listening to your other your other episodes as well. So keep up the good work and thank you very much. <laughs>